Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast, another episode of the Late Night Ramble and a very, very special episode of the Late Night Ramble. Uh, 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 we've got a very special guest. We've got one of uh, the greatest Aston Villa players in the modern era, one of the best Premier League era players that Aston Villa have ever had. We've got Mr. Dwight York. Dwight, how are you? Great to have you on. Nice to meet you, Omar and Adam, I'm sure, in the background there. Yeah, so it's a privilege to be uh, on your programme, mate. Thank you. No, thank you for giving up your time. I know you're very, very busy uh, over in Dubai. Uh, how have things been over this uh, lockdown period for you? Uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, probably a, a little bit more fortunate than back in England. We obviously uh, really strict lockdown for a period of time, but now Dubai is open up for business. Things are much better here in terms of the weather and everything else. Um, <laughs> so it's not a bad place to be, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, unfortunately, it's... Uh, Pretty grey out there today in England, so I'm sure you're not missing it too much. Uh, but great to have you on. Uh, really today, I just wanted to talk about your career at Villa, really, focus on that. And just, you know, I know you've had many interviews over the years, talked about your love for Villa, but it'd just be great to hear some stories and, and your, your memories as well. Uh, and probably the best place to start is, uh, well, initially, obviously, growing up in, in Trinidad and Tobago, what were your sort of first experiences of, of football? Uh, when did football become your main interest? Because obviously, I know cricket is a massive sport there as well. Yeah, what were your sort of early experiences growing up in, in Trinidad and Tobago? Yeah, very much from the from from day one, really. In many respects, um, a lot of people always associate themselves with cricket because it's the one that you know um, when you come from the Caribbean, a lot of people talked about. Um, but the reality within the um, Caribbean islands, football is the most popular sports. Although from an international point of view, cricket is what really put us on the map uh, as a sporting destination um but football is very popular within the locals and so having grown up in a, a, a household of you know six boys and three girls i've had plenty of my siblings there teaching me the way of sports and if you've never been to the caribbean there's two seasons the dry season and the, the rainy season so you play cricket in the dry season you play football in the wet season so um <clears throat> Certainly there was no social media around, so that was the only way of meeting your friends in the park and having a kick around. And the fact that I had, you know, five other brothers to have a kick about with, um, I kind of developed the, the game from a very, very tender age and pretty much just kind of learned my trade through that without any sort of really major coaching around me. What was it like being part of a big family? Because obviously I understand your brother was quite a cricket player was a quite a good cricket player as well yeah. and i also read that you had quite a nasty accident as well when you were younger and, and had a massive impact on your life as well well uh, again things that i don't really know because that that from the accident point of view i was only two years of age so i, I have very <laughs> uh, in fact no recollection of that accident happening to me apart from the the one significant thing on my body that uh justify was in a in a, a horrific accident at the age of two having said all that you know um yeah my, my brother was a in fact my my whole family was a sporting uh, background it's the way of you know 
growing up in the Caribbean, you just had to be either very fast at running or playing, you know, cricket or playing football, either or. And if you wasn't, then something was wrong with you within the family household. So you had to get involved somewhere along the line. So I was very blessed in that. But um, yeah, I mean, growing up in the Caribbean, I would not have changed my upbringing because it really made me the person that I am today. And even though I come from a, a very uh, relatively poor background at the time, um, sort of give me the impetus to work hard and to, to try and achieve my goal as a, as a footballer in the end. So your your first meeting with uh, Aston Villa, obviously Graham Taylor, uh, Villa were on tour over in the West Indies, and I understand he saw you in a in a football match or and then offered you a trial. Is that is that right? Something along those lines. We were uh, it was back in uh, 1990. Uh, the World Cup qualifiers was playing to to qualify for the World Cup in Italy in 1990. So the qualifications was taking place in '88. Um, I was still in school. Um, and so Trinidad and Tobago was one point away from qualifying for the World Cup against America. Villa got knocked out of the story when Villa got knocked out of the FA Cup. They came on a trip to the Caribbean for a two-week break at the time. And so in that period of that two-week break, they needed some kind of competition as well. Uh, an English team coming to, to the Caribbean was a big deal. Um, we were on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup, so it was obviously suitable at the time to play against Aston Villa. Um, played a game, one game in Trinidad. We are Twin Island, Trinidad and Tobago. So we played one game in Trinidad, did okay against them. And then the second game was in Tobago, which is the country that, well, the, the country I came from or where I was born. Um, and so at halftime, Graham Taylor asked me to play a, a half half the game with them and then the crowd didn't want me to. So they invited me up for, on a six weeks trials to be quite honest myself. And we came up to England um, on a six weeks trial back in the days. And then within the six weeks, obviously I made a grade. Unfortunate for Calvin, he didn't make it. And I was granted a, a work permit to come there. We didn't qualify for the World Cup. So it was a very easy decision for me to just go straight to England. And so that's where it all kind of began me what, what were those early early years like well that first year like settling into Birmingham settling into Villa was it quite difficult coming from a, a different country or, or were you made to feel quite welcome and it was quite easy to settle in no it was uh, pretty difficult you could imagine being a 16 year old leaving your home in the Caribbean and no friends no family you're coming into a different culture the food the people um professionalism, something that I don't didn't know what professionalism was about. All I knew I was going to play football and get a little bit of money for, for doing it, um, which was far better than what I was doing back in the Caribbean because I was still at school. So that, that was a no-brainer for me. But yeah, I it was daunting, but I knew this was a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity not to do something, to create history, um, to be the first West Indian person to come to England and make it at that level, to play for a Premier League club, which was Division One back in the days. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so it was very challenging, very daunting. But as I said, I was, I was prepared for it. I was this, this was, uh, this was made for me in, in many respects, and I knew that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. I couldn't afford to, to fail. So failure wasn't part of the, the uh, agenda. Um, it was just about, uh, 
uh, adjusting to life in England, uh, the weather and the people and the food and getting to grips with that, understanding what professionalism and training every day was about. And once I, you know, taken to that and dedicated myself in the very early stage of it, I got the hang of it and understand what it takes. Dwight, just coming back to um, sort of the, the stroke of luck, really, of Villa touring the West Indies and seeing you in that game, do, do you think you still would have made it over to Europe? And, and obviously, you're good enough, you've been a superb professional and you've clearly talented enough, but do you think there was an, an avenue towards Europe and professionalism if that stroke of luck hadn't come about? Well, yeah, you know, uh, in life you do need a little bit of luck. Anybody who says that you don't. So I, I probably in the right place at the right time, at the right age, so to speak, all of that seems so, to really fit in with what you said. Uh, I was already lined up by the American because in our part of the world, the American um, colleges or universities yeah. that may, uh, is pretty much was more likely to happen. I already been given a scholarship to Howard University, and I think it was IFU in in Miami, Florida, that I was given a scholarship if after the World Cup qualifiers. Um, so I had an option to go to America, which a lot of the um, the Caribbean boys who have been given scholarship they head to that part of the world uh, into America. Um, so no one has never been given an opportunity to go to England. So. Um, yeah, you, you do need a stroke of luck without a doubt. And I was very fortunate that um, when when Aston Villa tour at that time just seems for me at the right moment. So, uh, yeah, you, you do need that stroke of luck. What was your what was your relationship like with uh, Graham Taylor in those early years? Because obviously you were in and out of the side a little bit, playing in midfield a lot of the time on the, on the wing. Um uh, and and sort of hadn't cemented your place in the side, albeit 91, 92, you obviously had a, a really good season um, and, and, you know, finished second a couple of times with Villa. What were those early years like and what was your relationship with Graham Taylor like? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, first to begin, you know, I, the late Graham Taylor, he was, you know, pretty much like a father figure. He felt it was responsible for him taking me away from my parents at that young age, you know, 5,000 miles away and, you know, with no family member or any relatives around. So, I think the club had a responsibility in terms of looking after me. In fact, they, they set me up in a, a, a lovely digs, Sheila and Bryn, who has been instrumental in, in my couple of years at uh, Aston Villa in, in making me settle, make me feel at home um, with them. Um, so that was very crucial to my development as well. But certainly where Graham Taylor was concerned, you know, within a year time, I think he already went on to, to manage England, so I never really had the chance. And don't forget, back in those days, you having to be a full international, two substitutes or three substitutes at the time. Um, you know, I had a two and a half year contract, and within those two and a half year, I had to make the grade, else I would have been obviously released and go back to the Caribbean. So the challenge was even far greater than what it is today. But um, as I said, you know, the the world, the the word failure wasn't part of the, the deal. Uh, there was no way I was going to fail uh, with all my powers. I just needed a platform and an opportunity. And lucky enough, Graham Taylor presented me with that opportunity. Were you were you concerned when he left to, to go to the England job? Because obviously he was the guy who brought you over and spotted you and sort of backed you. Was that, was that a concern that the managers thereafter might not have felt the same? Yeah, I suppose so, because, you know, when someone, when you're that young, you're kind of left in the bewilderness of not knowing exactly where your career is going to learn. 
you know, where, where, what is the odds of a West Indian boy coming over to from the Caribbean to play in the, the, the top division or the top league in, in England? The odds are maybe a thousand to one, million to one. So, yeah, of course, it was probably doubts at the moment, but I knew that I had the ability, I had the uh, the knowledge to understand that I needed to do this. Um, I needed to grow up very quickly um, in a man's world, understanding uh, what it takes and watching and learning very quickly from, from a young age and, and adapting very quickly. And the good thing, I was playing, I was playing with men even though I was 16, 17, because the national team, I was playing with guys who were 30 and 32. So when I was playing with guys my age, I feel like I was far more superior than them. So when I played under 18s and under 19, I was standing out even more than the other guys. So that kind of helped me settle in because suddenly, immediately, immediately within you know, a couple of months, I become a, a kind of a star within the ranks of the under 20. Uh, you know, and so... Getting into the first team was a, a slow progress for me, but um, yeah, it was just a matter of make sure in that I continue to push um, and extend myself, uh, you know, from the rest really, uh, and trying to get into the first team as quickly as possible. Great, yeah, and um, obviously those those early years, big run as well. It was obviously a big a big character there in your early years. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, those, those couple of years we finished second um, under Graham Taylor and then Big Ron. The, the 94 Cup final, I know you've mentioned before and, and other places around how you felt about not being involved in that. Uh, but obviously since the, after that, you, you started sort of cementing your place in the side. You were also the last player to ever score in the, in the old Holt end as well with the, before it was tore down. What was that, what was that like? scoring that day? Well, I, I first to begin with, I mean, Aston Villa was obviously a tremendous place to for my development. Don't forget it. As I said, I was 16, turning 17, joining the football club. So for me, that was a, a great football in education. I was learning and developing very nicely at Aston Villa. I don't think I could have done it at any other football club. And to have the likes of David Platt and Gordon Cowans and the late Sarah Regis and those type of guys in the rank, Dean Saunders, people who have admired and watched and learned a great deal from. So that was, you know, that was important for me to be settled in one club, learning the trade, watching all these top professional. And so uh, I call it my football education at the time. So, yeah, I had to buy my time. I had to what I call you got to knock one of these guys off the, the pedestal because it was senior to me. Davian Atkinson, um, obviously, uh, I'm talking about Dean Saunders and those type of guys before me. You know, you had to buy your time as a young man growing up, even though you felt you were good enough. And uh, there were times I felt I was good enough, but obviously the manager had all that other ideas and playing the senior players. Senior players seem to have taken first priority back in the days, in those days. Um, so I had to be very patient. Um, and so, yeah, with, within three or four years, I've really developed nicely. I got stronger. I understand the concept of what it takes to be a professional footballer, the sacrifice and the dedication I had to make. And so by doing all that and learning through the ranks of all these other professionals that I mentioned enabled me to get to when I was about 21, 22 that's when I really started to feel like I've blossomed out. And so finishing second a couple of times and finishing the top four at Villa 
was a tremendous uh, feeling. The fact that I, in 94, when I didn't make the team, although I felt I did enough to be in the squad and he paid, he played, um, uh, I think it was Graham Fenton at the time who scored yeah. and had a tremendous game. I was, you know, was really disappointed with it, but it, it was about the team. The team got the result. And so, you know, uh, but the one thing coming from that, he, with the big disappointment that Ron Atkinson mentioned to me back then, he says, well, I know you're disappointed. Make sure when you come back, you return to Wembley. Make sure that you're going to be the star man. And so that's something that I always sort of stick in the back, you know, it's the back of my, my head for, for such a long time. But, you know, Villa Park was just a great place to play and the fans there was tremendous. And for me to score the last goal at the whole 10, it means so much to me for 10 years, at that nearly 10 years at that football club, what it meant and uh, the fans and scoring so many, you know, goals there and having so many fun times playing for the football club would always be a special moment in, in, in my playing career, for sure. Was there a moment, I was reading, um, potentially a myth, but was there a moment in those early 90s when physically you felt that you'd made it and you were comfortable in the league because you went shoulder to shoulder with Colin Hendry? And, and bashed him over. Is that a myth or is that something that you remember? No, I remember it very well because these guys over the years, I kind of come up against them in some way or form. And, you know, I always felt Colin Hendry, Des Walker, those type of guys were very fast, very fit, you know, you know, very bullish, tried to dominate yeah. their centre forward and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I've been working on my strengths and my development and I realize I have to get stronger and uh, and faster and fitter and, and all those things that you have to do to become a top professional player. So with the strength work I was doing, I was developing nicely. Of course, my confidence was sky high because I was playing on a regular basis. And there was a kind of a 50-50 ball between me and him going for it. And I just managed to to get the better of him. And, and at that moment, I felt this is when it really started to happen for me. I got my extra confidence because if you can bundle over someone like Alan Hendry, who I consider one of the toughest defenders in my time, the way how he used to defend, and he was a, a no-nonsense defender. Um, and so when I got the better of him, I think that's when it really kind of resonated with me to say, right, I'm ready to, to kick on in my career. Who were the... Um... Who were the defenders that stood out for you in terms of that gave you a real test? Obviously, it was a, it was a different game back in the 90s, wasn't it, compared yeah. to now? A lot more physical. Was there any other than Colin Hendry that you remember giving you a tough time? Stuart Pierce, Stuart Pierce, uh, Des Walker, them guys, Stuart Pierce. I remember playing right wing because I was never a centre forward before. I was more right wing. And of course, Stuart Pierce being a left left back uh, so I used to kind of come up with a cop against him he just used to kick the lumps out of me and tell me get up you know pick you up and kind of give you to stare and stood over you if you kind of fall over by accident or he taking you out of the game he used to kind of grunt at you some of the times your Pierce way is in his fashion um, international huge name in, in English game so he used to try and intimidate me with his physicality of or the physical side of the game so um Always find him def difficult to play against. Des Walker was another one that just was quick and could defend as a defender. So you needed all the tricks to get past him. You just couldn't just go past the likes of Des Walker. So those are the guys I, you know, Tony Adams in, in recent times, again, tough defender, six foot five, you know, bullish, uh, has that, you know, mentality, that leadership quality that can try to intimidate you as a, 
as a player. So having come across those guys, the rest of them was pretty much, uh, you know, a kind of walk in the park rather than against those physical boys. Yeah. And then obviously you mentioned you you're playing right wing back in those days and Brian Little Brian Little came in and then you were a centre forward. Um and, that, and really I think Villa, a lot of Villa fans look at those three or four years as 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 probably the most prolific and, and you know obviously the fondest memories. Mm. Uh, you scored I think forty nine goals in about hundred and nine games yeah. in those in those three years. What was it like with Brian Little coming in? Obviously he changed the the makeup of the team and went for a, a much younger profile. Um, and you yourself with, with Savo up front. What were those years like and, and that success that you had there in those years as well? Yeah, that was great. And I think that was a huge um, move from Brian Little's point of view in terms of, rec- rec- you know, recognising, I think, the conversation I had with Brian Little, recognising that the fact that he saw mini-me in him in some way, how he was as a player and... You know, immediately comes in there. He needed young blood. He needed a, you know, you to needed to energize the Villa dressing room, the young Villa players, bringing in young players, giving them the opportunity. And he, that's what he did. He gives the likes of again, my my one of my dearest friends, Hugo Hugo Ekiok, gives him, you know, the license to play in there. Gareth Southgate, the current manager, you know, Mark Draper, Alan Wright, those type of guy with the experience of Andy Townsend and Steve Staunton. And, you know, those senior guys at the time in and around the dressing room. So there was a nice balance there that um, really resonate with the way our Villa approached it and gives us, myself, and it obviously the likes of Savo and those guys and young Lee Hendry and, um, you know, um, just trying to think who else was in midfield, Mark Draper, those kind of guys to really go and express themselves. So there was a bit of energy there, a bit of youthfulness as well as a bit of experience within the, the, the ranks, Mark Bosnich and goal. And so we had a, a good energy and a good team spirit among ourselves that really resonate with the way our Aston Villa was playing. And Brian Little is, deserve a lot of credit for doing that and giving us a platform to go out and take Villa, which we think that was a, a really good standard and a good level went on to win the, the obviously in 96, the, the um, what you kind of call another Carabao Cup now what is called yeah. the Worthington Cup back in the days. So we've gone from 96, you know, 96 where we finished in the top four. Um, and there was a bit of consistency about Villa. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Villa the way, you know, it was. It was Villa, you come to Villa Park and you were in for a really tough, tough game with the with the side that we, we got under Brian Little. So Brian Little deserves a lot of credit for giving me the opportunity to move in, in that number 10 role more. I was never really a, a nine. Um, I was always a link player who can play as a nine occasionally, but come in and link the player between midfield and as well as score goals and create goals. So that was my role. In the, I never forget it. He says, you know, you you are my you are my main guy. Go and just play. And so once he gave me the license to do that, then the rest is pretty much history. But it was a, a fantastic time for me as a player playing for Villa. In those three years that you mentioned on the Brian Little, I really blossomed into a, a, you know, a, more of a complete player than anything else. And you talked about the 96 final. Obviously, that must have been a special moment for you to, to come back, score in the final, lift the cup and sort of banish some of those memories of 94. How, how special was that? Well, that was... Uh... 
pretty much just goes to show sometimes in life you get disappointment um, along your way and it's how you react to it. I could have, you know, I could have turned away and, and sulk about the fact that I, you know, um, that I didn't get involved in the, the, the 94 vic, uh, victory. Uh, I didn't feel part of the team, although I was there and obviously happy for the lads uh, who have won the, the, the competition, but it's never quite the same when, you, yeah. when you're not playing. Um, so when that moment did present itself, it kind of came back into the, the memory bank that I've been here before, but it was on different terms. I was coming in as one, you know, one of the main guy, if not the main guy at Aston Villa, I knew I was playing. I knew the the, the, the platform was laid out. You know, Wembley is a, a special place back then, although it's not, maybe it still is, but not the way out of Wembley because the only way you can play at Wembley is if you won an international player for England or you get to a final in a, in a, in a cup competition. Um, so back in the days and having grown up in the Caribbean and seen Wembley, um, having been there with the disappointment in 94, yeah. I wasn't going to miss out on this one. This was, uh, this was a, a, a you know, a, a sort of a, a thing that you've seen in the past as a storyline and you're just ready to write the script. So, and I, I was ready for this, that this, you know, so the victory was a sweet one. Of course we win convincingly, but to have scored at Wembley as well in the final was just pretty much the icing on the cake. And I, don't know if you guys looked at that video very closely. It was pretty much a, 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 a tear in my eye at the time because what it meant and the, the, the disappointment of 94, but of course the, the joy of scoring um, to be the first of, from the Caribbean part of the world and to create history at Wembley and all of that. It just resonated with all the hard work. Yeah, I mean, really, really fond memories of that. That's the last time obviously Villa won a cup as well. Uh, a major cup, anyway, which is a big, big, big shame. I mean, what was the what were the celebrations like off the pitch uh, after that after that win? And also, what were the characters like around that time? Because obviously, there were some some good characters in the team around around that time. What was what was it like off in, in the dressing room and, and off the pitch? And like I said, what were the celebrations like on that night? Yeah, it was great. It was uh, obviously you know um, back in the days, which you was allowed to have a few drinks afterwards and let your hair down. We certainly did that. Well, I certainly did. I can't speak for some of the, the guys, but I. I certainly did. I had some family over from the Caribbean and stuff, so I've been able to to celebrate with them. One and two of the boys, you know, Hugo and I, and Bosnich was a, a, a very tight-knit back then. Um, you know, I, I know Mark Draper and those guys and Tommy Johnson, they all pretty much, and Ian Taylor, um, were, 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 we, yeah, we all had a, an extremely good night, and quite rightly so, because... You know, when you play sports at the highest level and you become successful, you must be able to celebrate within reason. We did that. Um, and here we are, you know, 20 odd years later, we, we're still talking about it. So it's going to show how much it means to not just the players, but the fans, um, what it means to the football club. And to be part of that um, was just a, a fun memory and the celebration backed that up because that's what you should do when you win a major competition. Absolutely, and clearly that was well the most successful Villa team in our lifetimes. But do you feel like there was more in the tank? You know, could we go, could we have gone on and achieved a bit more? You know, domestically and in those following years, do you think there was potential to do that? I feel so. I feel the team. We had a good balance. We got some 
you know, young players in there who was hungry for success and, and maybe never experienced success. So that, that for me, I felt that the team we had could have compete. Maybe we were just outside of Man United and, you know, the likes of Liverpool maybe and, and Arsenal, but we were definitely in the next tier of the, the team that can really beat any of those teams on any given day. And so the, the, the thing I that I, I understand more about Villa now than when I joined United back then and what I understand of why we didn't achieve more, it's just the mentality. Um, I think some, I think players are just content, you know, um, just to be in that content position where, you know, win one competition and it's good enough and that will make their career or something. Um, I'm not saying every player is like that. But you know, I, I saw a big difference when I went to United compared to what I what my time at Aston Villa. Um, it was like, you know, kind of an, an acceptance of being finishing fourth, and that was going to be a, a great season. Um, yeah. And yeah. so, the the mentality within the the Villa team that I play with is that I felt that there was more that if we had pushed ourselves to the limit we could have achieved more as a as a unit uh rather than the medio mediocrity that we, we we did have back then in in my opinion i feel that that these players could have achieved more but whether we believed it uh and do more as we all should have done i, I didn't think we did i think we kind of eased off and got to that comfort that comfort zone of like yeah well I made a good living, things are good. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the difference in when you play for the likes of Villa and play for United, there's a different culture. And is that then what prompted the move? Obviously, you you were good enough to go and play at that very elite level. Maybe you didn't think your teammates and the club you were at could match match that ambition. Was it was it you that sort of prompted uh, looking away or did you know, United come in for you and it made you think... Obviously, it was a perfect match for you at the time and it was absolutely brilliant for your career, but I just wonder how it came about. Well, I think it just prompted from my performance, really, the way I was performing for Villa on a consistent basis. I was their top man, their top scorer and scoring frequently and, and creating goals. So when you do that, as you know football now, if you playing for, I say, I won't say a lesser team, but Villa is a huge team. But if the bigger club or the so-called bigger clubs come, you know, you drawing attention to them is because of what you're doing on the football pitch. And so, you know, I think what I've done is obviously prompt the likes of Man United and others to really say, well, you know, this might be a possibility of this guy joining. And so once the rumor started, then as a player, you you got agents, as you know, people are, uh, are starting to ask these questions and, Rumors are starting to fly around. And and so that then, you know, my time at Aston Villa, no one could take that away. I've given nearly 10 years at that football club and every moment I love. I love the fans. I love, you know, my connection with the fans, love playing for the football club and, and enjoy that. But there were a point in my time where I could either continue to stay at Villa and, and be you know, the main man and maybe win, get to a, win a competition occasionally uh, and be uh, and be treated like royalty as throughout the Villa fans like I have been. 
um, or realizing that, you know, as a player, there's, you know, at 26 years of age, you, you only got a certain time to, to cash in if you're going to be remember as a, as a top footballer. So, and so the, the Villa fans out there who probably think saying that I've left the football club, I, I didn't leave the football club in any, in any bad feeling. I just wanted to extend myself as a player um, to play against the best in Europe. And although the late chairman, Doug Ellis, he offered me far greater money than what Man United had offered me to stay at the club. It wasn't about the club. It wasn't about the players. It's just that I needed to challenge myself uh, from an individual point of view. And so when United came in, so Alex and says, right, come play for us. They are the best club in the country. They're winning Premier League. They're winning or uh, competing in the Champions League. As a player, that is the level you want to get at. And unfortunately, for the 10 years I was at, what I, when I was at Aston Villa, that never really happened. So I had a very difficult decision. I had to stay at Villa, uh, get an extra, extra money, so to speak, a bigger pay package. But it wasn't about the money for me. It was about the challenge of testing yourself against the best across Europe. And, and so when, when Man United came in, it was kind of a, a no brainer in many respects. And obviously everybody see what ended up happening when I joined the club. Yeah, no, no, I think. I mean, I think looking back now, as in I mean, this present time, looking back at your career, what you did at United, I think obviously you can feel vindicated with that move and what you achieved there. And I think a lot of fans, most Villa fans, will look back and and think actually, you know, it was probably the right thing to do for you in your career. I mean, but how were the, how difficult were those decisions and how difficult were those conversations with the late Doug Ellis and and John Gregory at those times? Because obviously, John Gregory came out when you moved and said he, you know, he would have shot you if, uh, you know, if he had a gun, you know, so things like that that came out. And I know it was an on and off saga and it took time. And then obviously the game against Everton as well, which we can touch upon. I mean, how, how difficult was it at that time for you mentally? Yeah, listen, I was in a good place. I was very comfortable because, you know, football is all I know. Villa is all, all that I, I knew coming into the, into this, into, into England, you know, Villa has been there. I've never abandoned Villa. I've never refused. I've never been in trouble with Aston Villa. You know, so I, I just wanted to play football. So, yeah, for 10 years at the football club, the rapport that I had with the fans, what I understand of Villa, what is expected of me as a player, I think every time I put on the, the shirt, I give everything for us and Villa fans. So to be single out uh, against the Everton game, I mean, I, I okay, I could understand things were on my mind, but it didn't mean I didn't try or I wasn't trying. Um, which which is out there somehow feed out into the the media that I wasn't trying, um, you know we just didn't play well on the day. But because I'm the the center of uh, attention, seems like I would the finger was pointed to me. And I mean John Gregory and I have a very good relationship before John Gregory um, become the the manager uh, of Aston Villa after uh, obviously Brian Little had left. I had an unbelievable relationship with John Gregory. He was the one who I used to take with a bag of balls and said, come, let's go do these extras. He was physically intimate to me to, to test my touch. We had a good rapport. So I understand because we, 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 we were close. 
Greg Gross and I were, were reasonable close. So, you know, believing I can understand him being upset because he was losing arguably his best players at the time. So I could get that. And I mean, the gun thing, it was just a, a kind of no nonsense kind of conversation. Yeah. I don't think he ever meant that and stuff. But, you know, the media again sort of played that up and it, it kind of spun out of, out of proportion, but I, I, I never took offense to that. I knew why he was, uh, I could understand his disappointment in me, but, you know, from my point of view, I felt that I was making the right move at the right time. And so it just felt, it just felt right. Uh, I was, it was a big decision because Villa for 10 years has been by my side and they give me the platform. So I knew nothing outside of Aston Villa that, you know, to be quite honest. So, when people say I kind of turned my back on us, but I never did. I give 10 years of my my playing career for, for, for a club that gives me the platform to play. Absolutely. I think, like Omar says, all Villa fans looking back, in reality, everyone knows that was the right decision for your career and everybody looks back on, on your time at Villa fondly. So, you know, no hard feelings, I'm sure, from all, all the Villa fans that live in the real world so so much time. I, I should hope... Then. Yeah, but I should hope so because I, you know, as much as the, you know, the Villa fan, you know, they, I knew that I had a good rapport with them. I was idolized between the fan. I hope that I give them back as much, you know, even to this day, I come across a lot of Villa fans and they still, you know, praise me for my time at Aston Villa, you know, what I did. And, and I hope that is the case. You know, um, you look at how many players come and left that football club now, but Certainly, when I was playing, the, the, I was an entertainer. I see myself as an entertainer, and hopefully, I've been able to do that for a lot of uh, Villa fans. Yeah, I definitely remember some some fun times watching you play back in the day. Just just on your um, time at Villa, who would you say is the best player that you played with? I don't think they come much better than Paul McGrath. I've had the the opportunity to play with him. Uh, somebody who I I really respect a lot. I have a, a lot of time for Paul. I've seen some good times and some bad times with Paul and made me understand some of the things not to get involved with. And uh, so that was kind of a learning curve. But, you know, take nothing away from his ability to play the game and read the game. And uh, one of the best defenders I certainly have. And hence he went on to win the, the player of the year at Aston Villa, even with the, the dudgeoning, as people said. Um, you know, but there was certainly, um, you know, David Platt was a, a real, in, uh, a, a great influence on me in terms of his work ethic and how he went about the game. People like Sid Cowens, who, who, who's obviously a legend at that football club that I watched and learned a great deal from these type of guys in my time at Aston Villa. So I was very blessed to have these type of players in and around me. Tony Daly, Tony Daly, another one who was like a big brother to me at times. Um, and, and and to this day, my one of my best friend, Brian Small, you know, being there for me and become having that relationship with him helps me, you know, sort of become very uh, villa, part of the villa family in many respects. Yeah. So those, those things all led to to me being successful at Man United without that sort of combination and that kind of connection with uh, my time at Villa, then the, the Man United thing would have never happened. So I'm very grateful for everything that has happened um, at that football club with myself and the history with me and the, the Villa fans and all that 
you know, no one could take that kind of stuff away from me because that means so much to my development and looking back and reflection on that tells me, you know, uh, where I'm at, why I am today. So it's just fantastic. Before we before we move on to sort of the next stage in your career and potentially looking at management and, and how that's going for you, I mean, in terms of Villa, what's your what's your favourite memory? Would you say looking back at your career at Aston Villa, what's your number one memory that you think of back when you think about your time at Aston Villa? Well, I think that um, obviously signing for the football club it was a it was a big deal, although it wasn't international news in any sense because only an unknown coming into into to, to English football but that's for me for my family um, for the whole of the Caribbean region what it meant and what I needed to represent so that was a that was a big deal for me uh, I knew that uh, so many people was looking up on me whether I'm gonna make it or not so that was uh, that was huge when I signed that contract and then of course the you know, winning the, the League Cup was huge because, again, that's what you want to do when you're playing for a club like Aston Villa. You want to be remembered and winning things there. And although it's the only competition I've really won with, with Aston Villa, I felt that we should have won more, but it didn't mm-hmm. happen. But I felt over the 10 years that I felt that I, I can look back with a great deal of satisfaction and thought, wow, that's, you know, th- that period was probably arguably some of my best moments in my playing career. You know, that 96, 97 season where I probably scored 25 or 26 goals for Villa back in the days, that was a big deal, you know. And, yeah, so, you know, I, I have so much fun memories and um, scoring, like you said, you know, that last goal at the whole 10, you know, that's, again, another bit of a history in there as well so yeah yeah huge 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 times huge moment at, at uh, Aston Villa things that not I don't think anybody could take away from me whatever you may think of me then but th- those are historical moments you, you mentioned there about uh, just just before we move on to the management side of things you mentioned there about the how big of a news it was for the Caribbean uh, at that time and, and such a historic move uh, and obviously you've for Trinidad and Tobago, you've represented them in the, in the World Cup and captained them. And how, I mean, how proud are you of that achievement in terms of your looking at your wider career? Yeah, I uh, think. And what you've done for you. Yeah, I think outside of obviously signing professional contract for Aston Villa, winning the treble at Man United and winning the Premier League, you know, um, when it comes to your country, you got to be patriotic and what it means. We only a small, probably the smallest country ever to, to play in the World Cup. Um, we come close in 1990, as I mentioned, the heartbreak in, 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 in not qualifying. So to, to come full circle yeah, at the grand old age of 34, 35, <laughs> captain in the World Cup team in, in Germany in 2006, that's like the pinnacle after, you know, you look at your, your, your club career, where you are, and then to, to have that happen to you coming towards the end of your career, when you felt that that opportunity had definitely gone by and we will never qualify. Um, I mean, where football is concerned, I think I've, I've done it done it all coming from the small island of the of Trinidad and Tobago to be where I am today and to be talking to you guys now, talking about the history of my time playing football. But playing for Trinidad and Tobago must be, has to go down as one of the biggest achievements in my playing career. 
And am I right in thinking you, you dropped back into holding midfield by then? Yeah, because the legs goes, you're not quick, you know, fast enough. But the experience I've got, you know, I've always been a, a ball handler. I can always handle the ball. And even though I wasn't quick enough, I was still intelligent enough to play midfield and needed a couple of younger legs in and around me. Um, I've always considered myself a reasonable fit kind of guy. So I've always yeah. kept myself in very good shape. Um, so it wasn't an issue playing in that position. <clears throat> gathering these young players in and around me and giving them some leadership qualities. Again, from my time at Aston Villa uh, and so my experience at Man United and throughout the, the, the English Premier League gives me the knowledge uh, and the know-how how to maneuver in the midfield. Um, when you're a good ball handler, you, you often see those type of players can prolong their career by dropping off and playing in midfield. As you can see, Wayne Rooney, good ball handler, yeah. What does he do now? Plays in midfield, right? Because you can handle the football. And that's how you prolong your, your game. You know, Ryan Giggs done the same. And so that's what you have to do when the legs are gone, I'm afraid. And just on just on the current Villa team, obviously we know you're still fond of the club and keep an eye on what's going on. What do you think of the progress that Dean Smith's made in the last, last year and a half and the position that the club's in at the moment with more stable owners and a lot more positivity around the club? And... And on top of that, obviously, what's your assessment of, of Jack Grealish? Very similar to player to yourself in terms of gets fans off, off their seats and perhaps probably one of the most talented players we've had since since you left. And he's similar. He He's attracting suitors from bigger clubs and might might potentially have a big decision to make in the next couple of years, albeit, you know, he's a local lad and Villa's his club, but... There's a lot of similarities there, isn't there, with his situation and, and the decision he might have to make soon. Yeah, yeah, and quite understandable. I mean, <clears throat> first to begin with, I think Dean Smith has done a terrific job in terms of elevating Villa to where we think that Villa should be in the first place. Uh, the yeah. fact that we've been outside of that for a number of years, it was a bit of a... Uh, on a knife edge last season, so to speak. I think everyone was kind of chewing the, the, the fingernails off because we felt that we, we probably might get relegated again. Um, I'm so happy that didn't happen and the boys have managed to somehow conjure up the last couple of games and get it over the line. But I've seen immense progress in the last uh, you know six to eight months under Dean Smith. I think the recruitment has been good. I think the people that he's brought in at the football club in Watson and those young players now, you know, they're all hungry and, and, and want to show that they can play at this level. And I think that's important. A bit like me, a bit like us when we when Brian Little had come in and he needed to make some changes at the football club. I think Dean Smith has recognised that. He was a little bit uh, unknown in the Premier League as well because he hasn't been able to, to manage at that level. So he's taken some time for him to adjust and he's he done extremely well. I think Villa is in a very good place at the moment. I'm very comfortable with what, what Villa are doing. It seems that they can compete at all levels now and I don't have relegation to be worried about. Um, and I think they need to consolidate and again rebuild and keep building and getting Villa to a level where they become that top six club again in the Premier League. I think we have gone away from that. And the fact that we survived last season, I think finishing in the top 10 this year will be immense progress for us. And if they could continue to that and build and recruit and try to get, you, you know, Villa back in that top, you know, top five, top six, because I've always seen Villa at that level. That's the, 
that's the level of the football club and it should be and it would take some time but I think Dean Smith in terms of what he has done so far I think it's a it's a great job I mean and the boy Grealish obviously is a, a special talent it comes along very rare it's it's been 20 odd years since I left Aston Villa so to see somebody that young that can handle the ball well um He's certainly having to grow up very fast. He's at that good age now where, he, you know, the responsibility is lying on him quite a lot in that team and he, he continued to produce in week out. So that's a challenge in itself. And of course, by doing that, when you're doing well and you're playing well, you're always likely to attract the big names. And so no surprise that he's linked to all the big clubs in, a, in and around Europe. And I think it will be important to continue to keep him for, for now whether that carry on into the future, then it, it's it's uh, it's yet to see. But someone of that talent, it's very hard to 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 keep hold of. Yeah, um, yeah. you know. And so, you know, I'm a prime example of it. Yeah, and I'm not going to be, you know, on your your podcast saying, "Oh, don't leave the football club," because that would be wrong of me. I think Jack Grealish has to wait up. Um, he will have his advisors and people in and around him. What's best for him eventually. But Villa, certainly in terms of taking Villa forward, he's a, a, a crucial part of the jigsaw. And it's a matter of, I think, when really, how long you can keep hold of him because he's a, he's a, he's a rare talent. But before we uh, before we let you go, Dwight, you, you speak so fondly of Villa. You speak so well about football. And obviously, I've got so much experience giving your career. Um, I mean, how how... How amazing would it be to make use of that experience, make use of that knowledge and, and go into management for you? Because obviously I know you've been dying to get into management. Aston Villa is a, a club that you're very fond of and a club that you'd love to manage one day. I mean, where do you see yourself going forward now in terms of management and the next step in your career? And how do you think you can break into that into that sort of career as well? Well, I, I have to say I have tried to go into management and I think even though I tried, I've kind of got sort of shut down very quickly with very little opportunity to, to to even get to the boardroom level or even an interview. So that's been very challenging in itself. I think since the, the Black Lives Matter movement seems to have moved the needle just a, a bit more, I think that my whole approach was totally wrong. I think that my commitment to management was, again, totally wrong. I have to convince, confess, sorry. Um, but since then, in the past year or two, I've gone back and I've looked at it and I've adjusted it and I've addressed it in, in different ways. I've spoke to managers, present and past managers. Uh, I've talked to certainly individuals, including Sir Alex Ferguson and the likes of um, Steve McLaren. I had a meeting with them, even Southgate. I tried to, to, to have these conversations as to, whoa, you know, the opportunity, what, what I need to do. So I needed to cross the T's and dot the I's. In fact, I needed to complete my badges. So having complete my A and, and now in the process of my pro license in the middle of it now, I feel that I'm in a good place now to really take on the challenge. So there is no excuses for people to say, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. I've done the work. As I said, I've crossed yeah. the T and dot the I's. And it's about giving the equal opportunity, an opportunity to get in the boardroom and present yourself as to why you should be given an opportunity to become a manager. And I think that's all I ever ask of. I don't need any any favors. I don't think it's favors is the right word. You're just looking for equality and in equal rights and opportunity. At least you can have an understanding 
as to why the job has not been given to you and what you need to do to try and improve yourself. At least you can go back and say, right, I need to improve this or I need to do that. But when you're not even given that opportunity to even have an interview or a conversation um, mm -hmm. or even to go into the boardroom, I think that's where you're kind of left kind of in the bewilderness without knowing exactly what you need to do or the requirements to get a job. And so I keep fighting. I, I'm always a, a fighter. I always believe in one opportunity, just like I did in my professional career. And I'm hoping now with the completion of the pro license that uh, an opportunity will be given to me to, to show what I'm capable of in, in terms of uh, giving that opportunity to be a manager. Let's hope so. Let's really hope so. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned a really important a point there about the Black Lives, sorry, the Black Lives Matter movement. And, uh, you know, you're right, it's moved the needle a little bit, but hopefully it's a start of something uh, more more uh, significant. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you look at the amount of black players that play the game and, and then you look at the amount of black coaches and the black managers and it's there's definitely something wrong there and there's, it's not something right. There's, there's definitely something wrong there and something that needs to be addressed. Um, so I really hope that happens for you. And, and you know, having spoken to you today, you know, it's so clear to see the amount of knowledge and experience that you have uh, around football that I think it's a big shame that that isn't being more util utilised. But but before we go, Dwight, and thank you for your time again. It's been such a great conversation. So great to have talked to you about your Villa memories. I mean, what's your, if, you're, if I was to say, you know, please give a message to Villa fans before you go, what would be your message to, to Villa fans at this present time, uh, you know, to, to all Villa fans in the, in, worldwide in the Villa fan base? Well, I just want them to know that I've always been a Villa fan and still is, despite my achievement with Man United. People know that Villa is very close to my heart and I've always, one of the first results I look um, when the results are out and the games I look forward to is the Villa playing every time, week in, week out. I don't think anyone would want to take that away from me and I just want to know people out there that Villa is always close to my heart. I uh, will continue to support Villa. And hopefully one day I will be given the opportunity to manage a football club. Um, that is my ultimate goal. That's where it started. And I hope that will be the case when it comes to my managerial career at some point in time. But in the meantime, wish all the Villa fans, wish Villa players and coaching staff a, a, a huge successful um, season going forward and, con and continue Villa to grow in the way that I know that club is capable and hopefully get back Villa to the level that we all want to see Villa at. So um, with Christmas just around the corner, wishing everybody a, obviously a healthy and a Merry Christmas to everyone and to all the Villa fans out there. Up the Villa, as we always say. So, Brilliant. Thanks, Dwight. That's, that's perfect. That's, uh, I think there's no more to be said than that, really, is there? Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks again, so much, Dwight. It's been an thanks. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Uh, you're, you're for Adam and I. You're both our heroes. Uh, always have been. So it's been an, an honour to, to speak to you. Um, but but thank you again for listening, everyone, and watching. This will be on YouTube. But uh, I'll leave you now. And, and in the words of Dwight, as he just said, up the villa. Up the villa. Cheers, guys. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it.